Well, good morning again, and welcome to Windsor Road. My name is Jason Weatherholt. I'm the Family Life Minister here at Windsor, and filling in for our Senior Minister Randy while he's on study break for a few weeks. Well, we are a legally focused culture today, are we not? I mean, if you look around at at, at the things going on in our world, we are just so crazy litigious people on a regular basis, right? You know, the coffee is too hot, so I'm going to sue. The the, the, uh, experience wasn't what I wanted it to be, so I'm going to sue. I I made a mistake in this, but I'd like to place blame on someone else, so I'm going to sue. I mean, it's just constant kind of all over the place in our society. And, And even, you know, if you're anything like me, you probably see on, on social media sites and everything, when a, when a new verdict is handed down in whatever arena kind of in our country, the, it seems like the junior lawyers come out on Facebook and everywhere else, right? And they have their, their thoughts for or against something or in support of or in opposition to or whatever it is. And it seems like uh, there's even a push sometimes from, from both sides of the aisle on different discussions to, to try to use the Supreme Court, right, to make laws rather than to interpret them and everything else. It just seems like we are in just a legal frenzy when we look around today. We'll enter into that, our relationship with God, right? It, some of that, I think, forms the framework for how we process our relationship with God as we kind of look around and we move through life with Him. And I think all too often, we've oversimplified our relationship with God down to, you know, on a base level, right? I do good things and, and God likes me. And I do bad things, and God wants to punish me. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of how we approach our relationship with God, right? I do the good things, then God's good with me, he likes me for now, until I probably do some more bad things, and then God wants to punish me again. I think in a lot of ways, we have made God into this critical judge in our minds, where we relate to him based on our fear of his judgment on on our daily activity, And I want to be careful. I know we have uh, plenty in our church who are in a legal profession, whether lawyers or judges or anything else. And so I want to be careful here that that I'm not not trying to build any kind of caricature of of those in the law profession. I'm sure the lawyers in the room could tell much better lawyer jokes than I could ever try to or anything like that. Okay, I'm not, not trying to build any caricature of that. What I'm actually talking about is our perception of God. And how we relate to him based on that perception. We're in this series called The Instagram Life. Okay? And, and we're looking at, how our, at what our picture of God is and how that affects our relationship with him. And as I was kind of preparing this week, I thought, you know, in some ways it'd be nice if we could just call it the Pixar life, right? You know, if all of us, if our lives just kind of look like this nice, easygoing Pixar movie, you know, where it's all full of likable characters and they get in this teeny tiny little small amount of trouble somewhere along the way, right? But then by the end of the movie, everything's tied up in a nice bow and everything works out great, right? Wouldn't it be nice if that's what your life looked like on a regular basis? Maybe except for that movie Up, right? Isn't that the one lone Pixar movie, that stupid movie, you know, that, that isn't quite the same? I was at, I was at a conference a couple years ago with a friend, and uh, the evening session ended, and uh, we weren't quite ready to go back to the hotel yet, and we said, let's go see a movie, and so we go. So here we are. You know, we're two men in our 30s. We're husbands and fathers. We go and see this movie up, and we're like 10 minutes into it in the theater, and we're bawling our eyes out. Like, this is a stupid movie anyway, you know? It's like, I don't even know why Pixar keeps trying to make movies. They're all dumb. They're not any good. Okay, but... But our lives probably look a little bit more like the Instagram life, 
right? Where there is these images in life with decay and, and, and imperfections. And sometimes we put so many filters kind of on our reality or the way we look at reality, we turn around and we can't even remember what the original image looked like. And so we've chosen this, the Instagram life, to talk about some of our pictures of God. And one of the things we've done in this series is for those who are Instagram users in our church, we've said, you know, as you're snapping pictures throughout the week and posting them to Instagram, why don't you uh, take some that remind you of God's presence? And after you do that, just hashtag them Windsor Road. We'll go through each week and we'll search and we'll throw a few up in our service and stuff. So people have been doing that. The response has been overwhelming, okay? There have also been some responses that are like, what's an Instagram, okay? But, but those who know what an Instagram is, you know, that, that we've had uh, just a bunch of people. In fact, more than we could possibly show on a Sunday. But, but keep hashtagging away and we'll show more next week. So I just wanted to show a few. I just thought these were really cool. All right, so this comes from Topher. <clears throat> I just said, you know, it's just amazing to watch kind of the earth. It seems like the earth is reaching for the sky. That helped remind him of a picture of God. This next one is Charlene, uh, who is out for a drive with a friend and just reminded about the presence of God. A good friend of mine, Lynn, posted this one, just seeing the word rejoice and kind of mixed art and, and being reminded of God. One of our high school students, Sarah, posted this one. She was out for a bike ride. It isn't it amazing? We just have some great kind of artistic uh, talent in our church. People snapping just great shots here. Uh, Michelle gave us several uh, that I, if you go on the Friday email list, I use one of Michelle's for that. And here's another one, just a picture of the clouds. Uh, Emily, one of our college students, said, uh, posted this one, said, God, a God who keeps his promises. You know, if she sees a rainbow and she sees the sunset, it's incredible. Uh, Nicole, you know, even when God surprises our family with an additional baby, uh, it's, a, it's a moment to remember his presence. Uh, Keyback, I love this one. God's all-natural energy bar is what he said about this picture. I thought that was awesome. Uh, a user named Bedelia who, uh, who just, you know, had this of just kind of creation, just proclaiming the glory of God. Uh, some user named Jason uh, had a meal at Taco Bell that reminded him of... Okay, I, I know. I just mocked people who took pictures of their lunch last week, didn't I? This was on CIY. I was done with all the, you know, college campus food. By Anyway, we'll move on. All right. Uh, this one also came from Michelle. And just the beauty of God's creation here. All right. So keep hashtagging those away. It's been really, really cool for us to get to see them, go through and search them. And, uh, and if you have more like that, uh, things that remind you of the presence of God. And we'll show more next week. Uh, this has just been a fun interaction tool for us. But today we're talking about this idea that, that I think some of us have come to see God as a critical judge in our lives, okay, as, as maybe the punisher. And what, what, we, what God wants to be is our loving Father. What God wants is for us to understand that He already is that in our lives. Now, being a loving parent, as many of you know, does include correction at times and sometimes does include punishment, but it's all for our growth. It's all for helping us to become the person that God has made us to be. So I, I, uh, I was reading, it was, it was Wednesday I was out at a coffee shop uh, getting ready for today, doing some prep, and I took a little break, and I popped up a Yahoo headline, and this news story came up. I don't know if you read about this. I had a couple people in the lobby who said they saw the same thing this week. A woman 
in Ohio was sentenced to five years of probation this week. I don't know if you saw this headline, but, but basically the woman worked in the office in Ohio where they make ID cards and driver's licenses and stuff. Well, she was using that post to make them for illegal immigrants. Uh, and so a judge sentenced her to five years of probation. And a part of her probation sentence for the five years that she's on probation is that around Christmas each year, she has to spend a minimum of three days in jail around Christmas. Doesn't that seem like an interesting judgment? You know, I went through, I started reading more and more uh, uh, news articles about this because I thought, well, that seems really strange to me. You know, I mean, it was like maybe she's making like holiday-themed ID cards or something I could see, but I was like, what in the world is going on? Actually, (laughs) well, it made me, for this one, it felt like she got sentenced to Narnia. You know, it was like, it's going to be always winter and never Christmas for her for five years or whatever. Somebody caught me in the lobby and said they saw the same thing and they searched much longer. What they found is that that particular judge looks for what is someone's favorite thing and he takes away kind of that favorite thing as a punishment type thing along the way. So that's why the Christmas, that makes a lot more sense. I had no idea what that was. Well, back in 2006, before Elizabeth and I moved uh, back to Illinois uh, from Colorado, one of my favorite judgments that I have ever seen came down. So if you've, you know, lived in a larger city or spent much time there, uh, you, know, you, know, you know there are the uh, HOV lanes, right? The high occupancy vehicles. So if you've got people barreling down the highway on their way to work, then, uh, you know, for all of us who are driving alone by ourselves, got to drive in the regular lanes, but then, you know, these people get to fly through at the speed of light in the HOV lanes and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, in Colorado, those are everywhere. So there was a guy uh, just outside of Denver who, um, who wanted to be able to drive in the HOV lanes, but he was driving by himself to work all the time. So his idea was he would buy a dummy, and then he would dress the dummy up in clothes and everything else and sit the dummy in the passenger seat, and then he could drive in the HOV lane because he had somebody in the seat with him. Well, at some point along the way, he gets busted for this. I have no idea how, but at some point along the way, he gets busted. And the judge hands down this sentence that I think is one of the most creative judgments I've ever seen. And what it was is, you know, the guy got fined, he got everything else, but then he had to spend four hours, four hours on the side of the interstate where he had been breaking this law uh, with a sign that said the HOV lane is not for dummies. I <laughs> love this. And this is the dummy right here that's next to him, okay? They ended up auctioning off the dummy and donated money to charity and all that kind of stuff. But I just thought that was a great one, all right? From critical judge to loving father, that's what we're talking about today. And I think this week in particular of our three weeks in our series hits the closest to home for me. And I, I don't know about you, but I struggle honestly with both sides of this equation, the, the critical judge part and the loving father part. Because I don't know about you, but I grew up in an extremely legalistic church culture. Okay, I grew up in a church culture where I was taught from a very, very young age that if I do good things, then God will leave me alone for now. And if I do bad things, he is waiting right around the corner to punish me for those. I mean, that's, you know, inadvertently, whether that's what my teachers meant for me to learn growing up or not, that is kind of my image of God that I had at a very, very young age and grew up kind of struggling against that and what that looked like. And even in my family where, you know, I've, I've talked a little bit about family history and even with some of the uh, adultery and alcoholism, things like that, that, that happened kind of back in generations of my family, I always kind of felt like, like I was being saddled with some of this guilt. You know, you can't turn out like all those other men in the family did. You know, you've got to be the one that takes us a different place and, and all those kinds of things. So I grew up kind of struggling in relating to God in this way as kind of the angry God in the sky who wanted to punish me if I did bad things. 
But for those of us who had a dad leave when we were kids, sometimes this loving father imagery for God is tough on us too. And sometimes we struggle through the best way to relate to God in the midst of all of that. We're going to continue looking at the book of John today uh, for our series, the Instagram Life. We're going to be John chapter 3. Uh, if you've got a, a Bible on the chair in front of you, that's page 888. John chapter 3, page 888. Listen, if this is your first week at Windsor Road or your first week in a church period, we want to welcome you. Okay, We are so very, very happy that you are here worshiping with us today. We're excited about that. And, and if you, you know, strolled in kind of at the last minute and thought, oh my goodness, I hope no one here figures out that I'm a sinner. Hey, I got great news for you. Look down the row, huge sinner sitting next to you. I promise you are in good company. All right. You are absolutely, we're, we're glad, glad that you are here. My guess is if you have been at church maybe ever in your entire life, you may have heard the verse that we're going to read here first somewhere along the way. Okay, we're going to start in John chapter 3, verse 16. John three sixteen. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, maybe it's even possible if you've never been at church before in your life, you've heard these words somewhere along the way. There's a reason that every child, every child who attends VBS or a church camp or a Sunday school or anything else, there's a reason that children memorize this verse because it's so incredibly powerful and because, because the entire message of Jesus hinges on these words. This describes what Jesus did and what he, what he came to do for us. Okay? God loves us. God gave his son, and you can have eternal life through a relationship with the son. That is the entire message of Jesus. The good news, we call it the gospel. That is the message for us that God has given us in John 3.16. And the word love here. It's a huge concept in John's book. You see it come over and over again. And in particular in this, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing because God's people, the Israelites from the Old Testament, they didn't have any question that their God loved them. Okay, they knew that God cared about them a lot. Sometimes the Israelites had a little bit of trouble figuring out just how much God loved other people. Okay, they sometimes struggled with that concept a little bit. In fact, in the first century world, if you were a Gentile, you know, not one uh, uh, from the nation of Israel, I think you pretty well understood that you were on the outside of things. And so what John's trying to say is, listen, God so loved. God loved, loved, loved the world. I wonder, how about today? I wonder what Christians are known for today. See, if you spend a lot of time reading, uh, whether they're books or blogs or anything else, what you'll see come up over and over again is that people are beginning to say the church or Christians are known more for what they're against than what they're for. Because we've been branded as, you know, anti-homosexual or anti-this or anti-abortion or anti-that. We begin to be known so much for the things that we're against than the things that we're actually for. Now, certainly there are times where God's people have to stand up, have to take a stand on an issue. Because if you stay silent long enough, no one's going to listen when you do speak up. My question for us is, when you do stand up on something... Do you do so in such a way that people actually want to hear you talk more about it? Okay, when we share what we believe the Bible says into a situation, do people want to know more about what the Bible has to say or not? And I think that's on us, not on God. 
Well, the, wor- the, the, the word here for world is cosmos, which is a word we still use a lot. It's used some 78 times in this book of John alone. And what John's talking about is the realm of humanity that opposes God here, okay? That what he's saying is Jesus didn't come for a select few. Jesus came for the whole world, everybody, everybody, even those who were not following. Uh, he came for everyone. So let's read it again with that as kind of a backdrop. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. You catch the central message here? It's this idea that God loves you. He doesn't want to be apart. He wants to be together in community, in relationship with you. He doesn't want to appear distant. He wants you to know that you are near to him, that he is near to you. And he doesn't want to condemn. He wants to save. That's the message going on here. When we see God, when we begin to see God as a judge, I think that what we do is we default to a relationship based on fear. Now, I was was privileged this week uh, to speak at FCA camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. They do an incredible week uh, uh, of camp, they, uh, a couple days for the younger ones and then three days for the older kids. It is awesome, absolutely awesome. My daughter was a camper for it and I got to speak at the chapel services in the morning. I would strongly encourage you. It's just a great, great week for kiddos. Uh, and they let me kind of hang out, you know. So I went in and I spoke in the morning and then since I had a kiddo at the FCA camp, they let me kind of hang out with the basketball group and pretend like I had anything to offer the athletes whatsoever. But it was a ton of fun, okay? And, uh, and so I got to go and, and hang out. Well, you know, we do the morning, and they've got the kids. Let's see, the group was, I think, third through fifth grade, and so they've got them running drills, and, you know, we're kind of, in a lot of ways, herding cats, you know, is what it feels like. And I know, okay, everyone go over here, now put the ball down. No, really put the ball down, you know. Now put the ball down! But we're, you know, we're doing all these kinds of things with the kids. So we get to, uh, we get to lunchtime, and I just start walking over toward the cafeteria. We're at Centennial High School. And so I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll go and find my daughter. We'll have lunch or whatever. And, uh, and, and I get ushered over pretty fast. One of the leaders catches me. and is like, no, 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 no. The kids go there and the huddle leaders that work with them go there. You need to go to the coach's huddle over here. You know, and I have to tell you, my first thought was, oh, man, you know, like, they're probably going to be like a boring rules talk or something like that, you know, or whatever. I don't know what's happening. So the kids go over there. And they have their, uh, you know, lunch meat sandwiches and whatever else they're having in the cafeteria. I get ushered into the coach's huddle, which is catered by Biagi's, okay? And I was like, oh, this is not so bad. You know, I'm thinking like, I want to do this at church camp, right? The kids all eat hot dogs and I get chilies catered in or something like that. It'd be great. But anyway, so we're sitting in the coach's huddle and, uh, and, and it was just a huge blessing to kind of get to sit around and talk about some life issues and there was a Bible study going on. And I remember uh, I'm sitting there, you know, kind of thinking about getting ready for, um, for this morning and, and the guy who was teaching the Bible study in the, the, uh, in the coach's huddle said this. He said, you know, um, said fear and love both motivate. Fear is just the temporary option. 
And he was talking about coaching, you know, especially coaching children and stuff. But I think it's so applicable to our lives, right? Fear and love both motivate, but fear is just a temporary one. I mean, you can use fear to motivate people, whether they're your employees or your students or your children, whoever else. You can use fear, but it always has diminishing returns, right? Eventually, someone just decides not to be afraid of you anymore. or They go and they do something different because they don't want to be around you. When we see God as father, we default to relationship, and it's totally different. Now, a father still has to correct, right? A father still has to help correct us and move us toward who we're becoming. Sometimes a father even has to punish. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine that it's you and me and a friend of ours who's a police officer, okay? It's the three of us, and we're going to hang out and talk in my kitchen for a little bit, okay? So it's you, and it's me, and a friend who's a police officer in his uniform and everything else. We're standing in the kitchen talking. One of my daughters walks into the kitchen and, for whatever reason, walks over toward the stovetop to put her hand on the top of the stove, okay? So let's say the first person who catches that is our police officer friend who's there, and he runs over to her, smacks her hand away, and says, no, 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 no. Well, what's going to happen with my daughter? She's probably going to melt to pieces on the kitchen floor, right? She's just going to be bawling because of, of authority figure and what happened and everything else. Same situation, rewind it back. She walks in and reaches over her head, and it's me who catches it, and I run over, smack her hand away, and say no. She probably takes a step back, looks at the situation, takes a deep breath, and moves on to play with her toys, Right? Now, not because we've taught our daughters to be afraid of police officers. The opposite's actually true. We've taught our daughters that police officers are safe and that if they ever lose contact with us someplace, they can go seek them out or whatever else, okay? But a relationship with the Father changes everything, doesn't it? It changes our perception of the information coming in. It changes our perception of the relationship. It changes everything. When you have a relationship with the Father, it changes everything, well, there are two parts to this teaching from John. The first is that God loves you. We've talked about that. The next one is he's calling you back to the light. Verse 19 says this, John 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And you'll see this. If you go home and you read the book of John, you'll see this light versus darkness as a theme kind of going on. It's a great wordplay. As John's writing into a culture that's very influenced by Greek thought and mythology and all of that, and John kind of writes in with terms that make sense to them. But I still think this light versus darkness issue is incredibly relevant for us today. I remember hearing the advice as a teen. I was at a week at church camp, and I remember someone when I was a teenager sharing the advice. They said, in the teen world, nothing either moral or pure happens after midnight. Well, isn't that kind of true? I mean, if you think back to your teenage years, or maybe you have teenagers, there isn't a lot for a teenager that's either moral or pure that ends up happening after midnight, right? You know, I think most of us would, would be able to say that, Teenagers probably get, and they probably make a lot more poor choices after midnight than they do before midnight. But I think that even for us mature adults, there's some truth in that. My guess is our propensity towards sin is much higher when it's dark 
Doesn't it just seem like that? I mean, you ever notice you look around and you just think when we're alone, when, you know, it's late at night, we make poorer choices. I mean, look at our world today. Protests happen, they take place during the day, right? But riots oftentimes are the things that break out at night. I mean, have you caught this? That there's just this propensity towards sin in the darkness. Well, I have to admit, um, I... I just, I love scary movies, okay? I don't know how many scary movie fans there are out there, but I'll make that admission that I just love them. And uh, sometimes a few friends and I will get together and we'll have like a scary movie day, okay? There have been times where we've even gone so far as like all of us take a day off of work and just watch some scary movies together, okay? So they'll remain nameless. I'll protect all of them in this room. But, but uh, we, you know, so we had one particular time a couple years ago that uh, there, was a, there was a series of scary movies that were out and there was another installment of it hitting a theater. So we all took a day off of work. It was like a Monday and we watched the first couple at my house and then we're going to go watch the, the, the next one at the theater. Okay, so we've done, I mean, you know, it's, we started like eight or nine in the morning, right? So it's super light outside. So we close all the blinds, you know, we turn off all the lights. I mean, there are four or five of us guys, grown men who are trying to scare ourselves and, and whatever else. So, so here we are. We're about halfway through the first movie. We're kind of all intense and into it and everything. And in a kind of a suspenseful moment in this movie, I swear to you, it was as though the front door of my house had just been blown open. I mean, it was like a bomb went off, blew open the front door of my house, light pours into the room. We jump off the couch. I mean, again, grown, mature men jumping off the couch in total fear. Okay, what it turned out to be was our student minister, Brandon Minot, was coming over to watch the movies with us. He didn't want to ring the doorbell because he might interrupt our movie. So instead, he blew the front door of my house house open and came in that way. And we're standing up and we're yelling and we're screaming and he has no idea why people are yelling at him. It was a terrifying day, all right? Because a little light in the darkness changes everything. A little light coming into a whole lot of darkness changes everything. Well, verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. You catch that? You represent God wherever you go. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your extended family, in your classroom. Everywhere you go, you are God's representative. People are supposed to know that the things that you're doing are being carried out because that's what God wanted to have happen. I have to tell you, I was tested big time in this about a week and a half ago. I mentioned last week, I, I have a privilege uh, here and there to get to play music with some friends, and, and uh, we had an opportunity where we were going to get to play two things in one night. Um, and if you've seen the, the Friday Night Live series that they do downtown, where there are musicians playing here and there, it's a ton of fun. One of our favorite things about this, uh, a good friend of mine, Todd, who's a worship minister in Mattoon, is a part of uh, playing music. And we love that, that we're getting to have some really cool conversations with a lot of people who don't believe some of the same things we do, and it's been kind of a neat thing to see how God's used all that. Well, so we're coming up on this. It's the day before we're going to go and, and play uh, some music downtown. And that night we had actually had the early thing downtown going on that we we're going to play a later uh, show. And, and what ended up happening the day before, uh, the later show got canceled. So we were kind of bummed out about that, but that's just how it happens. And, uh, and so Todd, the, the friend of mine that's a worship minister, went to his worship practice that Thursday night. And, and he was kind of bummed out about the show getting canceled. 
And a lady on his worship team, you know, he told her the story. And a lady on his worship team said, oh, no. Yeah, I've, I got a really good friend uh, that runs a steakhouse in Sullivan. You know, you, should, you guys should just come over there and play. It'll be fun. So Todd calls me, and, uh, you know, I'm like, hey, that sounds like a good time. Okay, so here's what the scenario is. We're going to play a little bit of music, downtown Champaign. Going to load up the equipment, hop in the car, and drive to Sullivan. And all we're doing is playing for a steak dinner. Okay, that's it. But it sounded like a good deal to get some fun time with a friend and all that kind of stuff. So I was in, all right? So we committed to it. We said yes. Well, uh, and it's just going to be me and Todd, just the two of us playing. Well, um, Friday night comes, and it's about 15 minutes before we're going to play downtown. And one of the guys takes a little walk and comes back and says, Hey, uh, I found out that there's a venue down here whose band canceled on them last minute. And they want to know if we want to, after we get done playing here, just go move our stuff over there, and, uh, and they'll pay us to play. So here I am with the two choices, right? You know, I've got the one I've committed to, which is to go drive an hour and play for steak, or the move my equipment 50 yards away and play for money. You know, and it's, it, I mean, you look at me with your judging eyes, but it was a hard choice to make, Okay. <laughs> And Todd and I took a step back and we said, both of us, you know, being ministers at churches and everything, I said, yeah, I, th- I think we're getting the opportunities we're getting because we're being God's light in darkness. And, and I think that if we make a choice kind of to go out to the highest bidder, we, we kind of miss out on the platform that God's given us to kind of be his ambassadors out in another place. And so we ended up choosing the steak and it was delicious. But, um, but it was one of those moments where I realized we are just, pulled at and tempted and tried all the time, are we not? If you are going to try to be light in darkness, they're going to be pulling at you all the time. Satan is not just going to stand by and say, oh, no, sure, you just go and you minister for God and you do everything you possibly can and you change the world. That's just not how it's going to work for you. You represent God everywhere you go as we bring light to a dark, dark world. God loves you, and he is calling you back to the light. So again, we ask this question that we've been asking throughout this series. What's your picture of God? Because I guarantee that whatever your picture of God is, that impacts your relationship with him. Do you see God as the judge and the jury and the executioner who's just waiting for you to step out of line so boom, he can zap you and it's over? You know, you live and you think, oh man, I hope God doesn't really see everything because if so, I am in deep, deep trouble. We live in fear. Or do you see God as a loving father? Do you see God as one who might have to correct at times but only out of love? Do you see God as someone who constantly has an eye on the person that you're becoming, one who loves you too much to let you settle? And maybe your relationship with your own father makes this one very difficult for you. Maybe for some of us, it's just really tough to see God as a loving father that's never going to bail on us. Maybe for some of us, it's just really tough to see God as a loving father who's never going to get lost in his own addictions and really cares. Maybe it's tough for us not to see God as someone who's just checked out on us. God loves you. He won't walk away. He won't get fed up. And God cares so much about you and about being the only father in history who's ever been perfect. See, I don't know where you have been lately. I I don't know how much darkness you've allowed to creep into your own life at this point. 
I don't know how cloudy the days are for you when you wake up each day. I don't know how judged you feel in life. I don't know what your picture of God is, and I don't know how much you desire just to feel loved for a moment. But I got amazing news for you. God loves you, and he is calling you back to the light. He loved you so much that 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to die on a cross for you. Not to condemn, but to save. Not to be blinded by darkness, but to live in light and to take that light into the darkness. God loves you and he is calling you back to the light. Now the band's gonna come forward and they're gonna play. And if you notice, we've got communion stations set up around the room. Communion's our opportunity to be reminded what God has done for us with this son that John 3.16 reminds us was sent to the cross for you and for me. And we want to invite you in this next moment of worship as we sing a couple of songs, whenever you're ready, you go around the room and take communion and spend some time with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your son. God, we thank you that you love us too much to just let us settle for anything less than what you have created us to be. God, thank you that you brought light into the darkness of our lives and you call us to take that light out into other darkness. God, may we be, may we be your servants as we take light out. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.